Welcome to the Mid-Market CFO Circle, podcast powered by Radius One. I'm your host, Madhurima Gupta. We hear you, Mid-Market CFOs, and we've got your back. Every Thursday, we bring you CFO Circle podcast with your peers, and we discuss the challenges that you face at your office and how you can leverage emerging technology to solve it. Today, we have with us Blair Cook. Blair is a many-time uh, corporate director, a CFO, author, speaker, and educator, and a professional development innovator. He's currently working as CFO at Mara Renewables Corporation. He co-founded Executive Finance Partners in 2012, where he works with startup growth and turnaround companies as advisor and an executive. He works with real businesses to experiment the theories and practices developed both in academics and in real world. He then shares his experience and stories with others uh, of what works in the CFO office and what doesn't. And which is why we have him today to talk about how CFOs can build a world-class finance function. Welcome to the show, Blair. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for taking time to you know, co contribute back to the community. And on this topic, the very first question that I have for you is to understand the right time for founders of business to hire finance leaders. Uh, sure. Yeah. So founders uh, of businesses typically will reach out to a CFO when they're ready to start scaling their business. And, and they're probably going to need capital. They'll need infrastructure. They'll need reporting. Uh, and that's probably the first time they're going to say, you know, I need a finance person. And so um, in those early stages, you know, I've, I've been a CFO of a startup where there was myself and a founder, um, you know, very, that was very early being brought in. Uh, but the impetus for that one was uh, raising capital and going public very quickly. It was in a blockchain uh, application. Uh, other times you can go quite a ways because there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, seed capital that might be spent over, you know, a year or two proving out a prototype. Um, and you may not need a CFO or certainly not a full-time CFO. You may just want to tap into a, a part-time CFO um, or a fractional CFO. And uh, that might be sufficient until you get to that point where you need to uh, build a, um, a financial presentation or raise some capital or you start um, you know, having monthly reports of financial results that need to be shared with stakeholders and users like banks and the like. And then you may wanna think about uh, bringing on a CFO. So you really need to have that, that critical mass uh, behind your business before you're gonna reach out and, and, and find somebody. So if you focus on those companies that are growing, right? For these companies hiring a CFO early on, um, how can it help let's say a to be enterprise business, or even, um, you know, if you talk about the companies that are aiming mergers and acquisition. Well, there's a number of different things that, that CFOs can do that really adds a lot of value. You know, we, we can do reporting, but to be honest, that's not the best use of a CFO. You, you probably hire a, a controller type to deal with the, the reporting stuff. And so, um, you know, CFOs are really help useful in terms of bringing that, that value added skill that helps a business scale. And so scaling requires uh, a couple of things. It requires building a team. It requires, you know, putting processes and systems in place. And of course, it requires uh, a skill to help uh, the development and the execution of strategy. And that strategy could be through either organic growth or, or a business pipeline of, of products that they're trying to bring to market. Or some companies will accelerate that by using mergers and acquisitions. And so that's a, a part where a CFO will reach out with perhaps uh, a director of corporate development or the CEO to identify uh, targets in the uh, sector 
uh, evaluate those tar targets, screen those targets, perform due diligence, negotiate the transaction, value the transaction, um, then bring it to uh, a term sheet and a purchase sale agreement, and then eventually uh, integrate that that acquisition into uh, into a business. And so again, CFO would be uh, you know a key right hand person for for the the team to make that happen and bring that. Uh, merger and acquisition to a successful conclusion. So uh, Blair, my other question is around, there are a lot of cases wherein when businesses start, uh, the responsibilities that you expect a CFO to shoulder are often done by a CEO, right? So um, do you think that when a company is structured like this, then there are certain areas uh, that are left out and will be better handled by a finance leader instead? Yeah, certainly. It really depends on the, the background of the CEO. You know, some CEOs are very adept at uh, raising funds and dealing with banks. Um, and then some CEOs, you know, true founders are very technical uh, because that's where they, they found a business idea. And so for those um, that are perhaps more hands-on, better at selling, better at uh, technical, better at engineering, you know, it, it, it probably behooves those kinds of CEOs to have a good, strong financial person by their side. It just it makes them well-rounded. But like I said, some CEOs are very adept at, at raising their own money, negotiating their own deals. Uh, and so I've, I've worked for both types of entrepreneurs that, that, are, that are out there and they can do both ways. Um, and so for those ones, it's perhaps not as important to have uh, a CFO uh, by their side if they, if they are financially literate or financial experts themselves. And sometimes they just need somebody to run the numbers for them. Um, in which case you don't need to have as, as qualified a, a CFO, a, a good, strong controller can help them with just running numbers and making sure the financial reports are, are available. So it really depends, I think, on the competencies and the background of the CEO to determine, you know, what, uh, what and how soon they need to have a, a full-time CFO uh, by their side. Blair, the other question that I have is that how, how differently can a CFO create value in an organization in comparison to a financially equipped CEO? Uh, sure, yeah, listen, there's a lot of different ways that um, a, a CFO can and should be creating value in, in an organization. You know, first of all, I always see the, the role of the CFO as kind of a strong number two to the CEO. And so I, I really think that the CEO is outward looking, looking for strategy, direction, looking for opportunities, and bringing back that, that mission, vision, and setting the values of the organization. But the CFO uh, really can add a lot of value because they take that, that, that in, input and, and they make it happen. They bring life to the vision. And that's usually the, the source of entrepreneurs I like to associate with myself with. And you can have, you know, you can have the most as aggressive and assertive uh, CEO out there and you have the most conservative uh, CFO out there and makes, makes for a nice compliment, a nice mesh. Uh, because they complement each other in that way. And so one, you know, uh, sets the vision, the other one executes the vision. And so that's probably the first way that they can add value to an organization. Um, typically, CFOs will add a lot of value in terms of the credibility that they will bring to an organization because of their financial background, their experience. Um, they'll set up their reporting systems. They'll hire good people to be able to put credible reports out there. And that's foundational because that sets up the opportunity to uh, engage with stakeholders and whether it's with a board of directors uh, on a credible basis or with lenders on a credible basis, or even if you're raising, trying to raise equity financing or with capital markets, 
on a credible basis. And so, you know, typically your CEO um, would, would not have that same level of credibility as the CFO would. And so that's very often the second area that a CFO can, can bring value. And probably the third area, I'll only mention three, but the, the third area uh, that we add tremendous value is around the cost of capital, managing cost of capital, which is through raising financing. And there's so many different sources of financing to, to raise today. And so it's knowing which sorts of investors to engage at which stages of a company's life cycle. So early stage companies will engage op often with, with venture uh, funds, whereas later stage um, uh, more mature companies will try to use more debt leverage. And whether they're doing it through private markets or through commercial banks, you know, that really depends on the, the, the nature of the, the situation and the context that they find themselves in. So a CFO is usually well positioned to figure out what's the lowest sources of lowest cost sources of capital um, that are available so that, uh, you know, and that, that can add tremendous value to, to any organization. Absolutely. Can't agree more. Um, so Blair, you've worked across uh, all, all kinds of companies, right? Uh, companies that are publicly listed, you've worked in investment management companies, um, also companies that were acquired, right? Through this range of experience that you've had, and as a growth-focused CFO, which of your steps as a CFO do you think helped your office support the business growth? Uh, yeah, sure. The, the way I, I think about um, supporting the growth of the of the business, you know, first of all, I, I referenced it earlier, it really boils down to credibility. And so, um, you know, the first thing I, I, I would say that we, we establish is you have to do kind of the, the nuts and bolts of finance and accounting. And it's not to say I don't do reporting, but I need to hire a really good team, because nothing will shoot me uh, in the foot faster than if I don't have those, those processes in place, a uh, good, uh, good reporting framework in place, you know, setting up adequate or systems so that we can report things uh, in a timely fashion. So that's, that's level one. Uh, and then, then level two is really around trying to figure out what is the mandate of, of finance. And the mandate will depend on what is the, the business plan. And so if we're in a high growth industry and we're trying to scale, uh, quickly, well, then you're going to need to have a, a team with competencies that that allow you to uh, allow the business to scale. So again, if it's international business, having international tax, for instance, and having access to that, whether you outsource it or insource it, but thinking about those all the different competencies that the finance function needs to deliver on for that mandate. If you're a public company, you're going to need to have some financial reporting experts. You'll need to have internal control experts. Uh, on your team to, to deal with all those kind of regulatory matters. And so that's probably the, the next stage. And then the final stage is, you know, I call world-class finance, which is this gets back to this idea that we have to add value uh, through strategy and strategy development. We have to add through uh, uh, value through data, data analytics, so that we're making smarter decisions. We have more predictability uh, to our, our outlooks. Uh, and, and then I come back to the idea that, yes, we have to engage with capital markets and being raising uh, funds or, or, or fundraising aware, even if we're not raising funding, we're always aware of what is the uh, investment thesis, the investment story of the company and our ability to, to raise funds 
Uh, sometimes even when we don't need it yet, it could be in the future. So always having that posture, that hat on. So the other thing that I wanted to understand is, um, you know, in every job that we take, there's some sort of a learning that we have. It could be because of mistakes you do, or it could be because of things that you do right. So what have your key learnings been uh, throughout your, you know, enormous experience? Oh, where do we start? Uh you know, I've learned a lot. Of, I've learned a lot of things. I've been doing. I've been uh, thirty years into my career at this point, and so you know, and I'm always learning. I, I don't even pretend to think I, I know it all. But um, you know, I've been CFO seven times. I've been on three corporate boards, and so I've seen a lot of different businesses over the years. And uh, probably some of the key learnings. One of the key learnings I, I, that stands out in my mind was, um, you know, I had uh, I had recently got an MBA. This is you know twenty years ago. And I and there's my first CFO engagement, and I always thought everything was a strategy issue. And this was a turnaround company. And one of the directors came up to me and he said to me, he said, Blair, yeah, this kind this company very may very well have a strategy issue, but it's the execution that's killing it first. And so in, in my mind, and that's fundamentally changed how I approach the companies I, I get involved with. And a number of them turn happen to be turnarounds. And so sometimes you need to do those those basic processes that I alluded to earlier. And if you aren't doing that, don't even bother talking about strategy because you don't have the credibility, you don't have the foundation built. And so that's why that focus on execution before strategy. If you don't do that, you're, you're a turnaround. And, and it's interesting how many companies I've come to that, are, that have been around a while and they all think they're growth companies, but yet they're not executing their own business strategy very well. And so until they've, they've found what market niche, what value proposition that they bring to the market that makes them unique in the first place, there's no point in talking about mergers and acquisitions and, and organic growth strategies when they aren't even doing their existing business right. And so for in a couple of these instances, uh, where these were turnaround situations, we shrunk the business. We shrunk it down to the, the profitable core and then started talking about strategy and how to grow it. Because over the years, both of these businesses had uh, just a, gone after uh, top line growth without uh, meaningful uh, increases in the bottom line. And so those were key learnings, execution before, before strategy. Probably the second, I'll only share two with you, but the second one is the importance of people. And there's been all kinds, you know, I haven't gotten as far in my career, the organizations I've worked with haven't gotten as far and haven't been as successful without the people. And, you know, that seems like an easy statement to make, but there's so much uh, that can be done on uh, people management and leadership that um, you think is people take for granted, but it's very rare in, in the real world to see uh, good people management and good leadership, good leadership skills. And so, you know, one of the mistakes I've made, you know, very often you'll try to go out there and hire people who, you know, maybe the cheapest or the people who maybe, you know, you can train and develop people. You know, I'm fond of this expression that sometimes you pay peanuts and you get monkeys. And so it's sometimes I go out there and I try right now, I try to hire the very best people I can find. And sometimes I have to pay more for them, but I find they pay off in spades. And so it, uh, I'm very conscious of, of talent, not only recruitment, but talent retention, talent development. And I think as a, a CFO, you know, I am a finance guy, but I, that's become probably the secret of my success is focusing in on, on the people. Because good people will deal with processes, good people will deal with systems, good people will deal with, with strategy issues. Uh, but if you don't have good people, you can't deal with any of those things. And so 
a huge amount of emphasis goes into people management, uh, talent management, and leadership. So Blair, I have a counter question on that. Um, so you know, I was researching a little bit about how great resignation boils down. Uh, at the office of the CFO. And one of the things that I realized while I was researching myself is that it, it typically depends on the motivations of people to find new jobs, right? So if, uh, you know, at CFO office, you hire really good people and you make them do mundane tasks and repetitive tasks, they're not happy, they're not satisfied. And at that point, they switch. So this is one of the key drivers based on the research that I have done. So is that something that you agree with? And do you think automation could be one of the things that we can implement that can help solve this problem because automation can take away this mundane work? It could be, it very well could be. Um, but I mean, at, at the end of the day, depending on the maturity of your organization, for many organizations, somebody has to put those invoices into a system and that can be mundane and, and all that stuff. And so until you get to uh, an RPA solution, uh, robotic processing uh, automation solution or something like that, somebody's got to put those invoices in and so some of the ideas, like I, 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 with my teams, what I do is I, I set a roadmap and once a quarter we have a strategy planning and then we have once a year, we have an annual strategy planning for the finance department. And on that roadmap, we have a, a three-stage maturity model that we've developed. One Level one is very much a compliance level, which is just you know trying to get financial statements and processing transactions, just getting stuff out the door. And you know, th through my own experience and, and through being a thought leader in the, in the space is, over half of organizations out there live in this level one. And level one is not a fun place to be because you're always just trying to keep up with the, 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 the waves of invoices coming at you, just getting the statutory reporting done, filing the tax returns, filing the remittances. You know, it's, it's very administrative feeling. It's not adding a lot of value to an organization. But there's so many things that are coming at the finance function today from the regulations to the legislations, to the tax rules, to the this, to that, that to, there's everything coming at us that we just are, we're overwhelmed. And so level two is trying to get, a, get, a, get control of that. And, and level two is, uh, you know, I, I, use the, I use the analogy of a train with my own team as I talk about, you know, there's, uh, you know, the caboose is level one. You're, you're lagging the organization. You're just trailing. You're trying to keep up. Level two is when you get to become a passenger on that train. And a passenger means that we do have good uh, processes. We do have adequate systems. We do have people who are competent, uh, motivated, and, 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 and uh, we're in the loop on everything that's going on. So we're dealing with issues as they come up in real time, as opposed to leaving them till year end or quarter end to deal with them. So that's level two. And then world-class finance is level one. And that's where you are, you know, you're leading the train. That, that strong number two right beside the CEO and a good CFO will have a team behind them that enables that to happen. And so those are kind of the, 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 the three levels of, of making that happen. So the great resignation in, in my mind is like you, you have to tantalize people with the, the art of the possible. You know, I can't do robotic process automation overnight. That's a big undertaking. You know, it may take a year to transform. And so this, this roadmap, I call it the finance transformation roadmap. It can take you know years to make this happen. You know, at, at Mara, my current one, I've been there four years now, and we went from when I, the day I started four years ago, we were a flat level one, and we we do I have maturity assessment. There's 23 indicators, and you just say whether you're one, two, or three. We were ones all the way down because we were an R&D company that was largely tracking uh, costs. It didn't need much more than that. 
But as the company went through that R&D stage is now commercializing and now it's going, it's trying to glow globally, the expectation, the mandate has very much changed. And so I've had to figure out how do I transform that finance function from just a back office into something, you know, that's more value added, value driven um, in, in, its, in its delivery. And so we've got this roadmap of all these different things. And generally speaking, the people who have been there, each year we see incremental improvements. And that, you know, that gives people something to look forward to. It gives us something to always be working on. Uh, it gives people a career track. And whether you're getting a promotion or not, as a company grows, you grow in your role. You learn new things. And so uh, I, I think this idea of, of uh, mundanity of, of, of tasks, I think that if, if you are a static organization and you have that mindset that this is all there is, then, you know, I, I could see why people would get tired of that. Now, um, and then uh, opposingly, if somebody has this opportunity that the world around us is changing and we have to adapt to that world, you know, I, I firmly believe that accounting is in the news distribution business. Whether we like it or not, you know, we, we live in a Twitter world and accounting and finance over the last couple of decades has not changed that much. We still report financial results in 45 days or, or year-end results in 90 days. That doesn't align with the Twitter world. And so are we reporting old news uh, or are we reporting real-time news? And, and then, of course, the other challenges, are we reporting uh, you know, real news or are we reporting fake news? And that, too, is a challenge in the finance. And so anybody who sits there and tells me that you know, there's nothing that we can do to improve and engage our people to, to be stronger... I think they're missing a lot of opportunities out there because no matter what organization you're in, there's 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 opportunities to adapt to what we see in the world uh, around us. So, you know, if you had to give top three tips as parting thoughts to your peers and aspiring CFOs so that they can create a world-class finance function, what would that be? Number one is uh, it's about the people. So um, the, this this idea that we're just finance people, and if you and a lot of CFOs, you know, we've we've all come up, we've all got designations, we've come up through the controller office or the finance function. But there's uh, when you when you become that CFO, it, it becomes almost a, a big chunk of your job becomes leadership and talent management. And so recognize that, embrace that, uh, because it is the secret to your your success. Um, the second idea that I think I, I talked a little bit about was this idea of a, a, a roadmap, uh, a maturity model. I don't care what you call it, but it, it gives people the opportunity to look forward. Not, and so we look forward 90 days. We look forward a year. And we also look forward indefinitely to determine what, what it is our mandate is and how we're going to get there. And I don't overwhelm my team by saying, listen, you're going to achieve this in the next 90 days or the next year. It's over years. The transformation gradually happens. And it's remarkable. Each year, our, our little needle is, is changing and getting a little more progressive, and we're getting a little bit closer to what our what our fulfilling the mandate that we've set for ourselves. And so, I, I'd say that's that's a, a key thing as well. And, and then, the, probably the final parting tip for the the CFO is to recognize the opportunity to uh, increase your value add in your organization. Uh, I think um, a lot of people, because of our backgrounds, uh, a lot of CFOs are, you know, CPAs or, or accountants or finance people. We, we rely heavily on the numbers, but it's the softer side of selling numbers that makes us influential, gives us clout, um, it makes us powerful strategic thinkers. And so it's taking that data, it's taking the, those numbers and spinning them into stories. It's, it's showing the impact of those things. It's negotiating. 
It's, uh, it's the soft skills that actually make you um, uh, a very powerful individual. And, and, and a lot of CFOs, as they just get, the, get into that corner office, don't spend as much time or don't recognize the importance of cultivating all those soft skills like relationship building and team building and communication skills and leadership skills. Those are the things. I don't do very much technical anymore. It's all my soft skills and, and learning to use other people to communicate and deliver the message that make me effective as, as a, a CFO and a leader in an organization. Thank you so much for those words. I think uh, our listeners are going to benefit quite a bit from it. Uh, so thanks again for taking time and having this conversation with me. And I hope to have you back on the CFO Circle again.